0: the subject for the evening talk is the search for the sacred I think that as people living and experiencing the earth and ourselves that there are Wondrous and remarkably deep places within ourselves, wonderful and um, regions of humanity. And it is from time to time, momentarily or in a sustained way, that we gain access, a kind of access in our life in which the inner world and the outer world have a have a meeting place, and and I think too that when we look at ourselves and into our being, our our feelings, our our very selves, what we seem to go from is fr- uh, from if we look at it uh, in terms of transformation sometimes from a kind of hardness or a contracted state of being into something deep and expansive. And this movement through the way that that occurs in our life touches something which is very significant. Yet, its very significance and beauty, I think, can very easily be exploited. And I think, there is within us, deep down, a wish to transcend the limitations of oneself, to actually go beyond a sense of finiteness and to harmonise ourselves and tune ourselves with something greater than ourselves. And I think that this wish is so deeply rooted inside of us that it's actually much closer and it's more accessible than sometimes what we imagine. And so sometimes in our daily life we might imagine that we're rather finite, limited and restricted creatures of, of the earth, but sometimes just a small gesture, some event can quite change that quite considerably and even in the more questionable aspects of society with all that kind of exploration exploitation that takes place i think there is a kind of perverse message in it to us a a perverse message which says to us in different ways in very questionable ways you can be greater than you are That we can go beyond self. Unfortunately, as we know, this gets exploited, it gets exploited through industry, scientifically, economically, socially. But there's a a a kind of distorted message coming over to us that we can go beyond being just what we are to something greater. Rather similarly, I would say in our relationship to our, our, what we call our country. That there is frequently from us a, a call to be patriotic. The message is generated out to us, to love one's country. No matter what the country may be, and the conditions of the country that you and I may live in, but to love it so much that we will give it support regardless of the events in the particular country and the flag is held high, the national anthems are sung loud and the messages go out in numerous ways and, and to such a, a time that we are asked to, in a time of war we are asked to be willing to die, the self to die, for me to die on behalf of something which is greater than ourselves. So these messages come to us. It's a call, in a way, to aspiring to a a, a search, a discovery of something greater, but tragically, through vested interest, through the filterings of the mind and its distortions, it comes down in those kind of forms. It comes over in those ways for us. Sometimes we begin to recognise the limitations of that, the desire to be greater through expanding of the self, the desire to be identified with one's particular country. And we sense there is still the quest for something greater, something so great we might call it, sacred, since that quest is for that which can't be measured. Greater than the thought can, as it were, get itself around, can embrace or encompass. Well, then sometimes we have a wish or a sense for that, for something vast, so vast as though self itself is almost becomes the drop in the ocean. So vast, and there's that quest for that. But then, with that quest, with that search that takes place for that which is sacred, then we find that the ways of the world are so diverse that the messages come to us this way, that way, this way, that way. There comes about the diversity of claims, of of saying, if you are seriously engaged in the search for the sacred, then this, whoever, whatever, is the vehicle for the finding of that. And there is a tremendous amount of information, propaganda, religiosity, and various other forms of persuasiveness to endeavour us to fit in do something because there is this promise that in the search the sacred will be found. And we've seen tragically the tyranny, the torment, the conflicts, the willing to to kill, to deny, to put down, to to deprive, when people who have thought about the sacred come into conflict with each other because one clings to this and someone and others cling to that. And the sacred is completely forgotten. So we see this in our world that we live in and then sometimes we look in other ways. We've noticed in ourselves that perhaps for periods of time, and for extensive periods of time for some of you, there has been a genuine Commitment to what is profound in life, what what is sacred. Sometimes one hasn't thought of it as a search as such, but there's a faint faint intimation of something not just formed of self. Yesterday, I a friend came to visit me, and we was speaking on this on these themes and he has been a friend, a friend of the centre and as well as uh, myself for many years. And he said he'd had a conversation with someone who had spoken to him just about posture and the relationship of the posture to something transcendent. And what and what had aspired in this conversation was he said The person had said, perhaps the reason that the image of the Buddha sitting in this way, that that symbolizes quite deeply and perhaps archetypally in the East, what he said was an implacable nature, a steadiness, um, a calmness, a a clearness, a, a mindfulness in the face of situation and being totally aware of Event and perhaps the image of that is an important image particularly in the East, particularly in India where suffering is in one's eyes and one's ears morning, noon and night, the like of which many who have been to other parts of the world may not never know. And then he said and perhaps, perhaps one of the m- most familiar symbols in the in the Western society because of the presence of Christianity, is the the death of Christ on the cross. The suffering, the passion of Christ. And perhaps in some way or other, in a society like ours, which is very controlled, which is very mechanical, and as we've been pointing out and people have been sharing here, sometimes perhaps the feeling life, inner feeling world, gets neglected. And perhaps, he was speculating, that the image on the cross serves as some kind of reminder about life, about, and as the Buddha said, life, the fact of suffering arising at times in life, and the discovery of its ending. And as we were talking, we began speaking about the area of mindfulness, in all of this, being a conscious human being looking into things for the purpose of discovery. And what he said with regard to the posture was that he's been changing the posture. Changing the posture has been using in his apartment the posture of prayerful kneeling. And he said, just by making some change in the posture by kneeling prayerfully, as one might say, In some of our cathedrals, that it seemed to be touching inside of himself another kind of response in the quest, the search for the sacred. And then he said he found in that there was a sense of God as other. And he was there, present prayerfully. And as Eric uses the word, um, and I think a very useful word to introduce, heartfully being present to something greater, yet still objectified, still God out there. And he said to me, I remember Christopher saying to you ten years ago in this meditation hall in a question-answer period which we had in here together. He said, to I, I asked you about uh, transcendence and the nature of transcendence and I had replied, he recalled, I had replied to him, if you think of it as something Mm -hmm. out there, such as when sometimes, when we use the word uh, God, then one is looking in the wrong direction. But, if one just looks here and just experiences very simply body pains, various sensations, depth of quietness of mind. And if one just said well says that's all there is, then also one has missed everything. N- neither out there nor here. And he said this has been with him through these years. And then he said yet however and some of you may find and experience this, that in this case, in his prayerful posture and in the way of that prayerfulness, heart feeling are at work. there's a certain kind of devotion and focusing there, he says, almost in spite of himself, almost in spite of his knowledge and Buddhist practices and his mindfulnesses and etc. So one wonders, what, what way in the quest for discovery and the search for the sacred, can there be, in finding ways, to bring mindfulness, heartfulness, so that they're harmonised and dissolve into each other? When I think, rather, ob- I write, like to feel rather organically and with motivation and awareness. There's the quest and the investigation into life and into our experience that what we find within the movement, within the quest, what we find is through various factors, as many outside of ourselves as inside, a kind of sense of affinity. This affinity with others affinity with what we call here practices, affinity with a certain kind of atmosphere, method and technique. But not only that, what we find in the quest the search for the sacred, an affinity with language. Language plays an, an immensely significant part. And quite often in that quest and exploration we begin to understand the kind of language which we are using that we may not understand the language of another. And then we easily find ourselves in loggerheads with each other, even though the heart may be referring to the same, but the language is not bringing an accord. And so one culture can speak of emptiness, and another culture can speak of God, and another culture can speak of, Shiva, another culture can speak of the Tao, and another culture can speak of enlightenment, truth, nirvana or whatever, and it can be very easily such that there can't be the meeting point because one's not really comprehending the person's position or significance and feeling that they have of the language to experience. In any kind of involvement, and I think, you know, the spiritual life, like any other lifestyle, shall we say, is potentially full of spiritual minefields. And one of the most common of all spiritual minefields, one of the great dangers to really discovering that which is without measure, is the movement of mind which begins to adopt and take up standpoints. That what happens is that the search and the quest, the means and and all of that interpretation begins to become so important and one begins to identify with it to the degree that the sacred is long forgotten. And what one is left with is the position that one is in. The book the tradition, the religion, the words, spirituality, or meditation, or devotion, or whatever it might be. And the mind has lost its spirit somewhere, it's lost its heart for something vast, and it's almost, as it were, settled for less. And once I think we settle for less in, in life, once that's there, whatever the form, less through just having a career and a uh, substantial income, less through just settling for our country and believing in that, less through settling for meditation methods and techniques or language or whatever. Once we do that, then I think there's, something is getting lost in all of this. And years ago, when I I referred to earlier on in the retreat, when I was uh, a monk, I had been staying in this uh, monastery in uh, South Thailand. And one of the monks, Western monks, who came down to the monastery to spend a few uh, weeks with us, was a monk called Bhikkhu Santidharma, who most of you know his... uh, that cornfield, and one of the uh, teachers of uh, founding teachers of uh, IMS, and Jack uh, traveled quite extensively in Thailand. He was uh, fluent in Thai and had wide exposure to the different teachers and traditions taking place in Thailand. And uh, still, uh, as I was talking, just the memory came of during his visit. He and I were talking and at that particular time I was very much what we might call into the practice, whatever that means. (laughs) 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 And when one gets into something and really gets into it, one's world view can easily be restricted to what one is in So this experience of being into meant that there were others who were not into. So then the mind is polarized with its thought. One is gravitated and attracted and involved and impressed with what one is doing to the degree that one can't understand why others are not doing it. (laughs) And one is in the movement of the search for the sacred and the exploration which is uh, taking place this becomes a polarity, uh, 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 a gap. In this situation Jack came to see me, Jack was, I was thin but he beat all (laughs) (laughs) the standing joke amongst the uh, the monks and the western monks and nuns that under Jack's the only thing that was under Jack's robes was a coat hanger (laughs) 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 and he came down to the uh, uh, came down to the uh, monastery and we had some talking and coming in in a fresh way I can't remember the Content of what he said, but what I remember very well was a very uh, cutting uh, statement, and some of you will be familiar with Jack's cutting statements. And he made this very cutting statement, and sometimes it was something that one needed to hear right in the moment on the time. And in that, when one has built up something and is Getting involved an investment, one of the minefields of this kind of work, is that in doing that to create a, a disparity, in doing that and then having it cut through, something which one was believing in, it, it breaks. It's like material things, it, it falls, it, it collapses inside. Because the building had been taking place and the cutting had cut it off, and it collapsed. With that collapse of the building there's generally some sense of pain and some sense, and, and what I remember distinctly, a sense of sadness and loss. I still continued doing what I was doing but the building had gone and it reminded me of a wonderful uh, statement in the, the Pada of the Buddha. And he said, "This." Uh, that rafters and the walls of the house which we build up inside of ourselves is built up with this wanting mind. The wanting mind which wants to hold this, to keep this. And he says, he see, this wanting mind finish, this see it collapse. And I'm um, very uh, appreciative and uh, uh, grateful to... Jack and uh, this uh, Derek one liner that he had uh, 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 given me. I've given him a few, I must add. So, <laughs> 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 this is, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I let him say what he's. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this, in Looking at the quest and in the the search for what we call the sacred, in that watching too very carefully and mindfully of the kind of build up which takes place, but the other and a very important aspect of all of this is that when we're still experiencing a gap, a duality, something here, something or someone there, and distance and All that may go with it. What very easily happens, and it can also subject us to exploitation, to a certain spiritual uh, abuse in different ways, is how people of privileged position, teachers, spiritual teachers, sometimes elevated through the language to even greater status, Masters, uh, Guru, Charyas, Bhagavan, the various language which, which, which tends to elevate the status, and that goes on not only in the East, but we have the equivalent in the West and the Eastern, uh, Western traditions, is that very easily, in that first, that which is vast and can't be measured, when the teachings are being generated out about that, what can happen is that one begins to make the movement and the movement is towards other, teacher, authority, whatever as somehow being the fount of wisdom somehow having it and this then objectifies two things it objectifies the teacher as having some inherent self-existence, some unique independent existence, which no teacher has, had, does have, or ever can have. And what occurs through the manifestations of the teacher is as much dependent arising as anything else. But this begins to be forgotten. The teacher function only arises in the face of students. Without a student, how could you possibly be a teacher? <laughs> <laughs> so just one factor, if you all left... <laughs> that is not an invitation. <laughs> So this codependent arising, this interdependence tends to get forgotten because the mind is moved in its hunger and in its search for the sacred, moved in so easily that the pattern comes in and isolates, specialises, says something special. And then there is a conspiracy an unsatisfactory conspiracy to reinforce the image, the separateness, the uniqueness, the particularity, the selfness. When that happens, we've lost respect for the sacred. Great tragedy. I was speaking to somebody the other day, and I think this is a very here again it's the same kind of situation. The person said to me, uh, of course paraphrasing, uh, Christopher, I came to participate in an in a very intensive retreat. And when I arrived, I thought what I would do, what I what I decided in myself was that. I would listen to the teachings but I listened to myself and what would be appropriate. Mm. But then I got rather a lot of encouragement from the people who were around to give myself totally over to the teachings and not to hold on, what what she was told was, not to hold on to anything but to really surrender totally to the teachings, and just follow as well and as clearly and as devotedly and as attentively as I could the teachings, and not take, ho- not take any notice of my um, self with regard to this, as it would just be, I was told, it would just be a form of holding back. And if I and I couldn't get the full benefit, and I, and someone said I. am this person that she might even lose her opportunity for enlightenment because of this holding back going on. Then she reported, after a period of period of time, and this is not uncommon, and her voice, as with all voices, is speaking for a number of uh, people. After a period of time, some weeks had gone by, and the person said, after some weeks, I was getting increasingly more unhappy. Increasingly not seeing the end of suffering, not experiencing any joy, just beginning, it seemed like I was getting less and less and less and less happy and more and more unhappy. And it reached a point after a number of weeks that this person said, I am not going to continue with this and stepped out of that intensive retreat. And I think one of the great dangers and one of the minefields here is that sometimes in life we simply not understanding and not knowing the difference between holding and understanding. And in this case, in this particular person, and as I say this is not unusual, has engaged in various practices, was not a novice by any stretch of the... imagination, had a great deal of understanding and yet on one particular occasion just gave herself totally over and thought that this was surrender, this was letting go of self. And that was the message which was being given to her and it's a message which is being given out in a great number of spiritual circles, of religions and out of religions. And I think that's very dangerous voice. And so there's the quest for the sacred. There's the quest for going beyond measure. The intimation, the messages put out, let go entirely of yourself, give yourself entirely over to me or over to this and sometimes devastatingly painful consequences sometimes a lifetime spent in cults some, sometimes a prejudiced view of the world which will kill and die and do anything to maintain the surrender not to anything sacred but to something dreadfully limited to so search for the sacred it's no easy road to follow this through. No easy road to in that because at many junctures on this road one can get stuck and the satisfaction that one might get for a, for a, a small surrender may be at the cost of something profoundly more significant. So that what, what can we do? In that how are we going to know what's letting go what's giving up of self and what it is to listen listen inwardly and listen to what understanding is and to know the difference between the two and I think don't think that's easy I don't think that's easy at all but I think it's very understandable when we get confused we're told we're holding on the powers of authority and privilege tel- will tell us where Holding on, we've been told it's just our resistance. And it may be, but even in holding, this is the wonder, even in resistance, there still may be wisdom shining through it. Even when the person is holding. And I think in this area, in this regard, I think we need to immensely supportive to each other. I think we need to give great care and support to each other. I think we need to r- deeply understand what dependence arising is. I think we need to, that where we see with each other, the clinging to views and opinions, the taking up of standpoints and holding, the restricting of something vast to something more, where we get any intimations within ourselves and within our friends, to have the courage to say something. It might be just like Jack years ago with myself, it might just be one sentence, we may not want to hear that particular sentence, but it might be one which is a saving grace straight from the sacred. So in our exploration and in our looking, still however, there can still be the sense of gap. Whenever we speak of the search for the sacred, whenever we use that language, still there's a gap between, as it were, I who search and that which is the object of search. And I think even and all that's implied with the gap and the the dark night that can be the the, the metaphor of being on the desert and and crossing the desert and all the powerful spiritual metaphors I think as, as Jesus said if we truly in our life, really heartfully and mindfully focus on that focus on the sacred focus on God focus on truth everything else will be added unto us Everything else would be taken care of. I think that message has been going out for thousands of years and there are still people, there are still us, and some of you here, many of you here, who still keep testifying, witnessing to that issue, truly focus on the sacred. All other will come. All the things of life which one may or may not have wondered about or wanted. All that, as it were, can be added. And it's in that abundance of that movement for the, for the sacred, everything else can, as it were, fall into place. And yet some, sadly, and often too, sometimes that and people have ex- been exploited and exploited I- each each other and there has been that confusion of materialism and the sacred and uh, uh, kind of muddling which takes place but still however there's still as i say some sense of gap where where is the end of the gap between the devotion the heartfulness the mindfulness the being with and that which one aspires And perhaps in that inquiry for ourselves, in that exploration for ourselves, perhaps in different ways of exploring that and understanding that, that somewhere there's another kind of dying which is required, another kind of surrender, another kind of abandonment and letting go. And it's the kind which, doesn't have an object for its reason. Often when we think of the surrender, the letting go, or whatever, we think of country, we think of something, the tradition, the teaching, God, truth, or whatever that might be. And we tend frequently to think in it, but can there be for us a surrender into life which is not for something. It's a kind of giving back with that which was never ours to begin with. And sometimes that giving back comes as an action. It comes as a very clear, distinct letting go, a very distinct giving back. And so sometimes that giving back what is is not ours, this whole life, the whole motion of life. And you know, that giving back, sometimes it comes heartfully. But sometimes that understanding, that realization comes mindfully. It comes through, again, many ways to describe, it comes through realizing it was not ours in the first place. And sometimes our mindfulnesses and our heartfulnesses can in numerous ways begin to sense something which is sacred. So sacred that we can't put a finger on it. So sacred that thought itself can't objectify and make a statement about it. So sacred that we can't find a a, a form for it, or a shape, or a position. So sacred that we can't find a a word, or or a tradition, or a teaching, or a teacher, or whatever. Who can communicate? Who can say what is sacred? And then we begin to sense, looking for is looking outwardly, for is looking in the wrong direction, and looking inwardly is also looking in the wrong direction. And it's in a remarkable way, in a wondrous way, that even the searching, even the seeking, in a wonderful way, is the expression of the sacred. That even the hindrances and the, mu- and the movements of mind and the sensations in the body and the so-called blocks and, and all the things of, of life, somehow all of that doesn't hide anything. In a way, it is the revelation. And one can't point here and point there and say, This is it and that isn't it. So with our commitments and our dedications and our explorations and our mindfulnesses and heartfulnesses and all that which takes place, that I quote to Jesus and quote him again be ever watchful the kingdom of God is at hand May beings love the sacred May our beings, Love that which knows no measure. May your being live with warmth.